Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Everybody's getting over their Cyber Monday shopping, Black Friday shopping, turkey on Thanksgiving. I had some great hot pot. Hot pot. Thank you, Wendy, for preparing an amazing uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And it's uh, it's all about, it's not about the turkey, right? It's about the food and the family and getting people together and being thankful. So I hope you guys are having a thankful day and are enjoying listening to this show. And I appreciate you spending time to figure out how to download podcasts. Do you know people still I talk to don't know what a podcast is? And we're almost in 2018. It's crazy. But thank you so much for listening at 203 interview shows of Global From Asia. And we're almost in December, a few more weeks, actually. I'm a little bit early. I can't announce it just yet, but next next show, we got something interesting coming up for the end of the year here at Global From Asia. Always try to keep things interesting. So stay tuned. There's going to be a year-end 2018 little, little campaign. Try to keep you guys interested and get you involved. Not just listening, but taking some action. That's what we should be doing. This week's show, I'm pretty excited about. When I was up in Shanghai... We had a, a GFA meetup and we had Dominic Power speaking from TMO Group and he specializes in cross-border e-commerce into China. It was a very valuable speech and you guys are lucky enough that I brought my gear. I'm a gearhead and we recorded this. It's it's a live speech he did and my editor, Boban, amazing guy, you know, is this not the perfect quality because it's a clip-on microphone in a Shanghai co-working space in China. But I think it's amazing, amazing content. And we are trying to get unique stuff out here. The next few episodes we have have some amazing content. We're going cross-border, sometimes into China, sometimes out from China because we're going global from Asia, global businesses here. Uh, if you need the show notes, there's quite a bit of links and things he's talking about. You can hop on over to globalformasia.com slash episode 203 and also can download the slides. We'll have a download link to get the slides so you can enjoy those uh, as well because he's got some amazing stuff he's talking about. So without further ado, let's tune in to Dominic. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Global From Asia, to invite us today here for this event. Thank you, Mike, uh, Mike Michelini, for inviting us. And... Um, a little bit about myself, my name is Dominic Power, I'm from TMO Group, um, working and living in China for the last 11 years and for 7 years focused on e-commerce as a partner at TMO Group. 
Just a little bit about TMO Group. Uh, we really focus on brand e-commerce solution, brand experiences. So e-commerce platforms, websites, WeChat stores, uh, cross-border e-commerce websites linked to customs in China, um, WeChat stores, and also uh, hosting services for our clients. So what we want to talk about today is actually there's a lot of topics if you start selling cross-border import into China and where we especially will focus on today is B2C because B2C, of course, is a, is a big challenge and also there's a lot of questions for a lot of sellers in, uh, in China. Um, and, and first of all, we would like to talk about what can you sell in China. So which type of products can you sell in the China market and which are basically allowed to sell? Second of all, we want to uh, talk about uh, the channels to sell. So what are the channels to sell and what are basically the, the ways you know, to multi-channel in a, in a phased way into the China market? Third of all, of course, the strategy. And strategy is everything in China. It's not only about you know, the overall strategy, your product strategy. It's about your um, channel strategy, but it's also about the strategy that you adopt you know, in terms of your free trade zone. Where do you uh, host your products? Where do you uh, store your products? And how do you basically focus on the logistics model? What we don't want to talk about today, because it's a sh uh, we're going to have um, a limited presentation and a limited time, is about the branding, the marketing, and of course about uh, intellectual property rights. So key in China is once you start researching if you can sell your product, it's the positive list. The positive list has been introduced in 2014 and basically is giving uh, and telling people you know, which type of products will fall within the category to sell cross-border. So to sell cross-border on a B2C level. Um, from 2014 to 17, there have been a lot of regulations. There also has been a negative list, which products are not allowed. And actually, you, uh, up to this moment, it has been an, um, basically a question mark when, the new, when there would be a new policy on this uh, positive list. What's interesting, maybe you would like to scan this QR code. We made a tool on our website, and you can actually use this uh, our website to check if there's a product you know, that you have in mind that is actually on the positive list. So one misconception, and that's, that's what we always see when clients uh, come to, to come to us and say we want to do cross-border, is that the cross-border uh, policy in China, if it comes to positive list and selling really in a cross-border manner, it's a B2C thing. It's not a B2B thing. And the reason why it's a B2C thing is because there's a lot of limitations to it. So choosing your product it's all about you know, looking at the value of the product because every order value can only be a maximum of 2,000 RMB. And on a yearly basis, every Chinese citizen that always registers with his Chinese ID can only spend for 20,000 RMB on cross-border expenses. Another thing is that we, what we see now is that at the current... Yes? So 2,000 per shipment, per specific shipment? Per specific shipment order. So it's not to be... That's right. So that's two, exactly, and a lot. So that would include the VAT, which is like seventy percent of the of the, let's say, the China national VAT, and that would also be the logistics cost. So the two thousand needs to include the whole amount to be lower than that. Yeah. So once it's on the positive list, there's a lot of products. Some products actually need pre-approval or pre-filing. If we're talking about uh, baby products like milk powder. If you're talking about food and nutrition, we had a, uh, a customer from uh, US that wanted to sell food and nutrition in China, 
And it took them, for example, around three months to pre-file this product. So it's always a key thing is that once you know that the product is sellable, that you also make sure that it has a CFDA approval if that's applicable. Now let's look at the channels. I think, you know, China is always on an e-commerce level. It's always a multi-channel strategy. It will never be only selling to one channel over a period of three to five years. So in China, we see multiple marketplaces. So of course, the, the big ones, Tmall, JD, Suning, uh, and Yamato, which actually started in 2013 already. So Yamato was one of the first to do cross-border e-commerce because they made a link between Hongqiao Airport and a U.S. market. And they were actually able to do the first uh, e-commerce, uh, cross-border e-commerce uh, model. Uh, then, of course, we have the ones on the supplier level. So the, the left side, you can see the stores where you can open your own stores. Next one is the supplier level. So you can come in as a supplier, but you don't have full control on pricing and marketing. Next one is verticals. I think verticals are very interesting if you have a, a product that focuses on a specific target group, let's say baby products or let's say uh, within food or fruits, like you have, uh, uh, for example, Fruit Day in China, which is only focused on selling fruits. Then you have the flash sales. And most of the time, you know, what we get feedback from our clients is that flash sales is really like an additional channel. It's a channel, you know, to get you out of stocks, uh, to, to finish your, uh, your, some of your products or your off-season products and to sell it via this channel. And then, of course, and that's maybe a little bit, that's a little bit the part that we focus on, which is getting more traction is building your own brand experience, being more in control of pricing, being more in control of branding, and also being more in control if you want to introduce loyalty programs or reward pro programs, which can be, of course, very interesting. Of course, also social, social commerce, uh, using KOLs, using um, uh, basically social uh, traction, to have in a, in, a, in a very cost-effective way using marketing, but getting more traction on getting more users and followers to sell more via online. Um, looking at the, the market share now for cross-border, which doesn't include brand e-commerce, is yeah, basically uh, only 40% of the marketplaces where you set up your own store, so where you basically open up your own store and present your product catalog, is actually uh, contributing to cross-border. 60% is basically focused on suppliers. So 60% of the of people doing cross-border sales are doing it on a supplier level, excluding, of course, brand e-commerce. Uh, a note that I still want to make, actually, where you see Tmall being crossed out. So recently, maybe over the last two to three weeks, Tmall has been uh, limiting the fact to open a Tmall Global shop and bringing some of the people back that were in Europe and promoting Tmall Global and also only letting out these people open a China national Tmall store. So it shows a little bit of a trend where Tmall really started big, you know, at the beginning of the year. They now actually don't, they're not that open anymore to open shops on Tmall Global. Did speak in Detroit about that? I mean, he was trying to promote SMEs in America. Why would that be? Yeah, I think, you know, there's one thing, you know. I mean, it's probably a thing, you know, of the cost because they hired some really high-level people in different countries. I know, for example, in the Netherlands, myself, I'm from the Netherlands, they really hired high-level people to promote Timo Global, 
And I don't think it picked up that smooth, you know, because at the end of the day, there's not a, too much benefit to have a Tmall Global or to have a Tmall store in China. It's and that's expensive to, to run your store, right there, so there's a traction for Tmall. Why aren't you doing it themselves, the Tmall, or the, the Tower, the Alibaba International Direct or something, I don't remember the name, but aren't they really out there, you know, sourced themselves directly? They were. Right here. They were. They were. But they're coming back. This is what you're talking about, so they're shutting it down. And basically, so, I think because it's too expensive for the brands to do this, because there's no margin left. What I'm saying is, I knew that Honeypot uh, themselves were going to source or just take care of the whole logistics so they could put their hands on the product. Because they realized that the products themselves, they can't set up a shop you know, here in China, they don't know the market, they don't know any of these things. I didn't hear that, but it's it's possible. But yeah, most of the let's say most of the models you also see, let's say the the second, this the third and the fourth column, these are supplier models. But it also depends on, of course, you know, how many products do you want to sell cross-border import? Because if you have one or two products, there's no reason to open a store on JD because you only have two products in that store. So, again, it comes about your product strategy. How many products can I have a value that fits within that range? How many products are actually allowed to be sold cross-border import? And, of course, you know, does it make sense? You know, is it a viable concept to sell that on a, on a marketplace? Without making somebody just sent me a note, I think it's relevant. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about the further extension of, uh, of a deadline, of a lot of regulation taxes for the most sensitive things, especially maybe food and things like that. So okay. I know just today they're doing this, and we're going to extend it to the year now, which is 2018 and 19. Okay. So you, you had a question on the further regulations. I think we're just uh, the Prime Minister of China. Okay. okay. Yeah. Thank you very much for the decision. I think that's very valuable. We actually also we checked, you know, last week actually if there would be any change. And I think, you know, this sort of it's a very vague, you know, deadline, right? So they, I think, before they said at the end of 2017, and it's good news then that it's now extended to 2018, right? Because of course, you know, for sellers they they live in quite a lot of uh, insecurity. You know, how, how can I build my business and and does it sustain still in in the next year? Yeah, this is actually you know what you see here. You see a lot of logos, and and hopefully it's it's sort of clear to you guys. You know what it what it stands for. But this is basically the slide. You know that every merchant that wants to start selling um, is okay. How do I combine all the things you know that we just talked about? Product strategy. Uh, the channel strategy, and finally, you know, the, the strategy on which we come in a later stage, logistics. Left side, you can see the organic strategy, the low-cost strategy, but don't misunderstand that still this left side will still cost you half a million RMB. So a lot of people think, okay, let's start selling in China, you know, it's, uh, we can do it low-cost. It will always cost you half a million RMB, including marketing costs, including infrastructure, technology, etc. The right strategy is the... Sorry? Half a million RMB, 500,000. And if you're talking about the right strategy, on the right side, sorry, not, it's not right, I don't know if it's right, depending on your 
on your brand, but this is more the, the big muscle one. You come in with one to three million at least, and you go into marketplaces uh, and you build up a supplier model. So basically how the first strategy would work is you start you know, very small, you start limited on WeChat, you start building your brands because maybe your brand is not that big in China yet, not, not too many people know you. You start gathering a lot of data, you start analyzing your customer, and you start knowing who's interested in my product and what is his profile. Once you know that, then you start putting more money into marketing. Basically, your marketing at this moment is very um, guerrilla style, right? You're using KOLs, you're trying to find ways, you know, how to, via content and via alternative methods, to try to get as much sales as possible. Once you go more into the supplier model, you start opening other channels, trying to position your product in a, in a, in a very uh, strategic way and also making sure that you're still in, in control of your pricing, right? Because once you go into a supplier model, all of a sudden the, the seller is uh, basically making the pricing. And then once you know that you have a, a market model, once people know about your product, about your brand, then you start going into the big muscle uh, game and you start opening your store. Of course, also depending if you have enough product catalog, if you have enough product variety, to, to present. <clears throat> then basically the right side would be getting you already have a brand, people know you, there's a lot of organic search on marketplaces and you can already attract a lot of people without spending too much on marketing on a marketplace. Let's say red wine Lafitte. A lot of Chinese people looking for Lafitte. So you can basically capitalize on that search uh, behavior of people. Then once you're growing and you, you open a couple of stores, you can go into supplier model and maybe at the end, you want to go into a brand e-commerce. But the right strategy on the right side is more focused on volume. How can you create a lot of sales and how can you benefit from what the brand's uh, awareness already is in the market? And a question here, what do you mean by the supplier model? Supplier model would be, so you have a store model where you open a store on a marketplace and you could be a supplier of that marketplace. So if you sell to JD, you could also say, I'm only delivering the goods, but you are marketing the goods and you are basically positioning the goods. So that would mean that you are not in control how it's being... You're just the product sourcing or the product person, basically. Distrib yeah, you're distributing it to the platform, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But still, you know, what a lot of people think, okay, I'm a supplier, you know, I don't need to invest anything on marketing. If you, for example, go to Koala, I recently heard, they still want you also to invest in marketing. It's not like, okay, you just give the, the product. No, what's going to be uh, the amount that you're going to invest in, in, in doing the marketing for this product? So just a, a quick one. So where do you see there's now in total uh, 13 pilot cities in China? And all the green, basically you can see the ones with the, the highest income. So the first, the second, the third, and the fourth and fifth tier cities in China. The green dots actually represent the ones where the free trade zones are. So where does it happen in China at this moment? On the East Coast. 25% of the sales is either coming from Shanghai or is coming from Guang, uh, Guangdong province. And uh, that's also uh, where you need to strategize because every free trade zone in China has a speciality either on the products, so maybe they are more focused on consumer products or they're more focused on nutrition, as well as the, the country of origin. So going to a free trade zone where there's already a lot of uh, known about this country and where the, the product is already supported, it really makes a big difference, you know, to get, for example, your CFDA approval. We had a client, they, they just went to one of a new opening uh, free trade zone, Shanghai in, in Shenzhen, 
And it took them a really long time because everything was new for the customs. And it took much more time to, to apply for CFDA and to get everything set up. So today I didn't really talk about the postal model because you can also send something by post and then there's a, a chance you know, that customs will intervene the, the package and you will get a tax on it. Today we f we're only talking about the sustainable models where every business would really build a, can build a business on and which is fully um, according to China regulations. So we fo focus on cross-border bonded model where you have in your own bonded warehouse in a free trade zone. Or we're talking about cross-border direct shipping. So the product doesn't stay in China. The product is being shipped at the moment that the sales order is paid. So that means that the product actually is, let's say, shipped from uh, Germany. And once it goes, comes into China, it just goes to a distribution center instead of being on the... Um, being in a bonded warehouse in a free trade zone. The difference, of course, is, is that in the first model on the left side, you can be much more lean and faster to market because once customers order, you can maybe deliver in two to three days, where the right side model, of course, takes at least you know, seven to 10 days, meaning that um, left model is, of course, better for customer experience. Right model is, of course, better in terms of taking inventory risk, so not having to have all your inventory in China. So that's basically all that we cover today. So once again, I think, you know, for cross-border e-commerce, it's doing your research and having the right product strategy, having the right uh, channel strategy and having the right logistics strategy. Key thing, you know, to start e-commerce in China. And um, last that I can say is, yeah, please uh, follow us on, uh, on WeChat, so TMO Group. Um, we are publishing on a, on a weekly basis, basically, a lot of articles about cross-border e-commerce, about uh, e-commerce in China. And uh, let's keep you informed. Once again, thank you for your attention, and uh, I'm looking forward to the question and answer uh, session. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic. I hope you all enjoyed that. And we're trying to provide unique value, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I've had some service providers tell me I should remove some of the blogs or the podcast because it's giving too much information away for free and I should charge for that. So I, I don't know. I just believe sharing is caring and I am, of course, it's always the hard thing is what's, what should be a paid course and what should be free, right? Um, but this stuff is so hard to find anywhere, and we're trying to create a source to give people a chance in China business because I think it's so hard here, and I'm sick and tired of only the big big players being able to win. I want uh, Americans and people around the world, Europeans, people in Africa, people in Philippines, people anywhere, to be able to sell to China because it's a huge market, and it's pretty challenging. So even with the free information, it's uh, there's a lot to do. But there are slides... I talked to Dominic and we're working it out so you guys can download them off of the show notes here at globalfromasia.com slash episode 203 PDF versions. They will be helpful if you didn't download them before the show. You can get them there and, and listen and learn. So, And 2017 is almost over. Four more episodes for this, this, uh, this year. And we'll be rocking strong into the next year. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. 
To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.